the number band thing is out, okay? Blink-182, Green Day 75, these names are not cool. What's in now is the, okay? The. The strokes, the, I can't see you. The vines, the hives, the white stripes. This isn't new. The Led Zeppelins, right? Are you feeling me? podcast in which we decide upon a theme, recommend records that fit that theme, and then meet back up to share our thoughts. I'm Joey Albin. I'm Darvel Hurlbutt. And I'm James Doyle. This episode, we are talking about the Modest Mouse album, Good News for People Who Love Bad News. And uh, it is the fourth album released by the band and was uh, the album that kind of took the band mainstream. They had songs on the radio, Float On, Ocean Breathe Salty. And Darvel, can you remind our listeners of the theme that we have just oh, yeah. started with this album? Yeah, so this round, the theme is Go Green. So just an album with a cover that's green or prominently green. You wouldn't get pinched if you wore this album cover <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day. This, this is kind of a line album, and uh, I guess I guess that counts for green. Oh, the color. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely... If you put that in front of a kid and you say, hey, what color is this? I feel like the majority are going to say green. That's true. I think this theme is ableist and doesn't consider our colorblind listeners. <laughs> <laughs> colorblind listeners is a very funny phrase new band name called it yeah <laughs> colorblind listeners nice how much i know we talked a little bit about how much you'd listened to this album before how much modest mouse have you listened to what do you think first things you want to say about the album i think a good thing to start on this would be talking about the personnel on this record because that's not what some people would be expecting. This was the the first album without uh, Jeremiah Green playing drums, who's founding member of Modest Mouse and was a member on every album except for this one. So I I think that's kind of an important thing to note. He he tragically passed away. I think it was earlier this year. Yeah, it just it, I got super bummed out reading about this. He died in just this past. Almost a, a year ago, it was the end of December 2022. Yeah, like I went down this whole spiral of like, oh, he was only 45 and he died of cancer. And then all these people, I was reading a Reddit thread about it, and all these people in their comments are like telling about all the ways young people they know have died of cancer. And I was just like existentially spiraling reading about it. So, <laughs> yeah, what led me to that was the fact that I looked up Jeremiah Green's drum setup for this record and i couldn't find it and i was like what the heck is going on <laughs> and, and that's what led me to the fact that like he had passed away and then like this is the re the only record that had uh benjamin michael on drums so uh the lineup on this record was isaac brock 
on vocals, guitar, and numerous other instruments. Eric Judy on bass guitar, um, and also additional guitars. Dan Gallucci on guitar and keyboards. Benjamin Weichel on drums. And then uh, Tom Peloso on stand-up bass and fiddle. And then there are also several other additional people on this, including on The Good Times Are Killing Me, The Flaming Lips played, um, backup instruments. Uh, that's cool. On The Devil's Workday and The Horn Intro, that's the Dirty Dozen brass band. Dennis Herring plays accordion on Bukowski. And then the Rising Star, Fife and Drum Band play on The Good Times Are Killing Me. So lots of uh, really cool session musicians and guest musicians and everything that if you just look at the track list are completely unfeatured <laughs> yeah so yes. i thought it was pretty pretty cool to see the dirty dozen brass band listed when i looked it up this morning i actually saw them about a year ago they opened for tab benoit here in oklahoma city and they were really good uh miles davis's son is the band leader and has been for quite a while uh unfortunately and that. we'll get into this on the album I'm not a huge fan of all of the cabaret horn stuff on this album, <laughs> but I do like Dirty Dozen Brass Band. That's a cool tie-in from another album, though. Sorry, that Miles Davis, Son. That's true. That's true. Here. Look at that. Yeah, so I, I'll go ahead and, and do a, a confessional here. So I mentioned at the end of last episode, I wasn't super i wasn't familiar with this album i was familiar with the song float on but i really didn't lo know anything about modest mouse beyond that uh turns out that's really true because i was continually met with things i didn't know uh for one i didn't know modest mouse was from uh the united states i thought they were european uh hmm. i think a lot of this is because i kept confusing I think Modest Mouse and Franz Ferdinand live in the same file cabinet in my brain. And so I kind of just seamlessly mix them together. Although I don't think they're European either. I think just the Franz Ferdinand <laughs> World War One thing make, keeps making me think that. I also didn't know that like Float On is really only representative of like one of their sounds. Like as I was listening to this album... I was kind of surprised to hear what the band actually sounds like outside of that song because it it a lot of times strays quite far from that sound, um, which I have various varying uh, opinions on. But yeah, so I this was good for me to listen to because it, I really I thought I didn't know much about Modest Mouse and I didn't know how little I knew about Modest Mouse. <laughs> Yeah, for for me it was interesting. I had um I had a friend who was very into this record and then also this band in general. And I would I would very often listen to this record with him and so I I was pretty familiar with it, but after I mean after that time in high school, I didn't ever really listen to this record again because it wasn't necessarily in my wheelhouse. And it was interesting coming back as an adult um, especially as an adult musician, like we talked about before, where you know things that you didn't know before, because there were a lot of things about this album that I appreciated a lot more. And there were also some things that kind of wore thin. And I, I don't think that. I, I think this is a record that is an unfortunate victim of the CD where 16 tracks is probably a bit much. 
<laughs> and I know some of those are interludes and stuff like that, but even the interludes are a little unnecessary at times. And I feel like this would have been a really great LP um, if some of the fat was trimmed, which I, I know is like kind of becoming my recurring theme on this podcast. <laughs> but but I, I do think that a lot of times it, it's this kind of like pressure to put out more work than is necessary because you want to fill time because of the format you're and at the time it was pushing CDs. So, yeah, yeah, th- there are some things on here that I, I think are absolutely brilliant. Uh, I think that are even if you don't think that you like this band, I think are worth listening to um, because if you've only heard float on, I think you'll be surprised. So, Darvel, why did you pick this beyond its cover being green? <laughs> yeah, and that's I was going to say. So. I actually my my route for picking the theme was I want to do this album. What's the theme that would let me <laughs> that this album would fit in? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it's I love it. I also when I had the idea for the theme, I really liked the theme too because it's not like a you know what's your most, what's your longest, what's your like you could pick an album that you hate with this theme. And so, but I do love this album and. I think I wanted to do it in the podcast too because it's interesting. So I've had other albums that I enjoy a lot, but I don't think they're very interesting to talk about, especially when 90% of it sounds the same. Um, But this one, we get lots of different sounds, kind of like you were saying, Joey, kind of takes it in lots of different places. And I've gotten to the point, it wasn't immediate, but I am at the point that I, I love all those places. I think we'll find some spots that I agree with James that it's thin. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. I really love the music. And I was trying to remember, because I listened to this in high school. I know my best friend Clint had the album. And that's where I was introduced to it. But we never like sat around listening to music. I don't know. I don't know why I bought this album. Because it wasn't from Float On. Like... I found out about Float On from the album. Then I heard it. I saw it on MTV. But I'm guessing at some point, Clint probably had it playing. And I was like, oh, I have 20 bucks. I'll buy this album. (laughs) But it is one, kind of like you were saying, James, I loved it in high school. And I actually, I've probably only bought maybe like 20 albums in my life, which is crazy. I just never had money for buying stuff. I never, and I never got a job to make money to buy albums. So, but, uh. Because of that, I didn't have a lot to rotate, like in the car and stuff. And so this was one that played a lot. But whenever I come back to it as an adult, I love it even more. And we'll spend a good week or two just with this album on repeat. I'll admit that was my, when you brought up the green album thing, that was also my first strategy was like, what albums, what bands do I want to talk about? Are any of these green? (laughs) Unfortunately, the answer (laughs) is no most of the time. Or there there were a few where I was like, is that is this green enough to count so I can talk about this album? <laughs> yeah. If, if you want, Joey, you can talk about a thrice album. No, I think <laughs> I find I think I picked an album that's green, but the artist in the ambulance isn't green. And that's that's the only one I talk about. <laughs> An argument could be made. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a theory about this album and I as someone who has only listened to it like the six times, seven times preparing for this podcast. I kept thinking at times, I was like, is this a concept album? In fact, I went and looked like, is there some sort of story? Because like 
they talk about floating in multiple songs and like there's kind of this nautical theme but then there's a lot of other songs that definitely are and i identified like three modes on this album there's like the nautical lyrics with indie music so like float on world at large ocean breathe salty there's a few others there's the tom waits cabaret sounding stuff and then the third one is kind of like bayou gravelly voice belter guy is that make sense like that this album can roughly be split into these three kinds of songs James is really considering that. It, it breaks down a little towards the end because we get some of the more acoustic, almost country-ish songs that don't quite fit into one of those three. Hmm. Are you looking through the track list, James? <laughs> yeah, I am. That's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I really hadn't considered that before. Uh, the The way I kind of looked at how the, the album was constructed was kind of this like folk element that was like the through line on the whole piece. And then the different instrumentation kind of being a thematic application. So the idea of this, like a, uh, like this, like kind of like three separate EPs kind of thing is it is an intriguing one. That's kind of how I kept, I almost imagine like three albums that got shuffled together. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that's a, yeah. I think the reason I noticed it honestly is because like I greatly, greatly prefer one of those EPs over the other two. I really, really like the it, basically. So I love the band, the talking heads really love talking heads. So any song on this album that this closer it sounds to the talking heads, the more I like it. I really don't like, and you were talking about, you know, the CD and kind of being a subject to the demands of the CD. Another element of that is like subject to the trends of 2004 leading into what came in the the five years after a lot of the like, hey, ho music that came after this album, like Lumineers and uh, is it Monsters of Men? Yeah, I, I always get it mixed up with the, the book. Like I don't like or like Edward Sharp, Magnetic Zeros. I don't like a lot of those bands. And so hearing elements of that in this, which isn't fair because this came before a lot of that, I was kind of not as into that, which, you know, is I'm listening to it retroactively. So that I, I'm kind of bringing that into it. Yeah, that's interesting because I definitely see that connection. And it's but I, it's more than like five years, right? Because that was more like. 2000, I guess 2012. Well, and I guess I was on my, I was doing my two year no music mission. So more might have popped up there. So anyway. Yeah. I was just thinking like end of college was when for me, all those bands were getting super popular. But it is interesting because I, I think for me, where it was, I was introduced to this first. And a lot of those sounds were like, Oh, this is weird. Okay, let's sit with this for a little bit. That I really enjoyed it, where a lot of those other bands... I mean, I enjoyed it, but I very quickly got sick of it. And was like, all right, here we go again. So <laughs> that's interesting that you you know, kind of went back to it and were like, oh, this sound. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because it's not really a fair standard given that this was, like we are saying so much earlier... But it's all being collapsed 
into the now for me, you know, so. Right. So track one, we'll probably spend a long time on this one. <laughs> We've got the horn intro. <laughs> Which really isn't an intro. It's just the beginning of whatever song it is later. Right. They just took those few seconds, copy paste it into the start. And uh, does uh, did that do anything for you? Are you guys upset that that's there? Do you not care? Do you like it? I mean, it, it caught me off guard because I didn't know there were this element of their sound existed. So I was interested like what where's this going like it kind of reminded me and then i kept thinking this later on too like i really i don't like it as much anymore but i for a while was really into the album dog problems by the format and like the kind of brass band feel of that kind of kind of reminded me of it i mean more later than the intro but i just i wasn't aware that it was a track on its own (laughs) i just always thought it was part of the of the the world at large so that was kind of strange but I know that it's a track on its own because when I would just have my iPod playing my music on shuffle, I would get this and I would. it was like, oh, is this going to be just the horn intro or is this the <laughs> devil's work day? We'll see. But it's it's interesting to me. I don't know. I like it where it's just kind of, oh, here, let's turn this album on. And you just get this blast in the face that then completely shifts going into the second track. But then, so it feels very out of place, but it's kind of like that uh, Daryl from The Office quote you mentioned last episode, where it's like, <laughs> just so you know, this is, this is, it, this will be in place later. So just to give you a taste of what's coming. I like it. The days get shorter and the nights get cold. I like the autumn, but this place is getting old. I pack my belongs and I head from the coast. It might not be a Track two, The World at Large. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Very easy to enjoy this song. So this might be a good place to put it by um, just like perceptions of music and how I think this podcast has been such an interesting, fascinating <laughs> de- development because because i you never really get to have these conversations with in-depth in-depth with musicians that you play with and you know despite what my wife thinks where she's like it's just so funny because you guys always disagree with each other like there is <laughs> there is commonality there but one of the things we talked about on the last episode was that like you don't consider yourself to be a person who will just like listen to a synth sound for like the subtlest changes or whatever, because you, you find it boring. But for me, what I think is boring is when a song has very, very little harmonic or melodic material and just repeats it over and over and over again and never goes anywhere with it. <laughs> so like I'm I'm much more interested in listening to a chord be held out for 30 seconds and then moving to another chord because that gives me some sense of motion. Whereas when I was listening to this again, I never thought this when I was younger, but listening to this now, I'm like, this is just material from float on slowed down. That sits there as a four and a half minute introduction to the song float on it. You know, I, 
not coming at it from the same angle of like stasis, but like I with with Float On being the only song I had any familiarity with all with at all. When I so I also really like the song World at Large. I agree, Darvel. I think it's really good. I love when it finally it builds so slowly, you finally get all the strings at the end. It's really nice. It I noticed very or I thought very quickly that like this is float on not just because they use the words floating but like the the movement the the harmonic movement everything is the same and in fact it happens again we're jumping i'm jumping ahead here but um one chance track 15 is also very very similar not it's weird to say similar because that makes it sound like i'm talking about like the genre or their tonality but i mean like compositionally very similar to float on it it almost reminds me of like if you gave 10 musicians a song and we're like i want you to make your version of this song and you'd get 10 different songs but you'd kind of all hear they were using the same source like mm-hmm. that's kind of what my ears kept doing with with this song as well that like this is just getting us to the real song you know i like it i also like float on so i guess that makes sense that's always been an interesting thing for me with this song. Like it's felt like the first half of float on or the like, here, let's here hop on this bus. We're going to drive to this song and like just start the experience. So then when the song hits, you know, what's there. And, uh, I'll come back to that in a second. I want to talk about what James mentioned. And that's really interesting to me. Just comparing, you know, how this, for you is like that synth stuff for me where I'm just like, okay, I'm bored, get on with it. (laughs) And just trying to like piece apart what it is. Cause I do agree, you know, it's like hit loop on this, you know, four chord progression, whatever. And, but I think for me, the big thing, if you got rid of the lyrics, which, you know, later it is just instrumental, I very easily would hit a point where I'm like, okay, get on with it. But having the vocal, melody even if i don't know what he's saying or what they are like that helps me have something to hang on to but then you know even though it's not moving somewhere there is the like you know oh and now this time around we're gonna add this sound in here and this time around we're gonna add this here and just that slow build um makes it something that i'm like i can listen to and love this as opposed to Okay, I have to listen to this song again. But that's interesting. That's interesting. Just the difference between us. It's interesting. Like, what makes something boring or not? Because, like, I, I'm thinking that. I, so, like, y'all, you've each kind of outlined like these are things I find boring. I'm trying to think like, what do I find boring? And it's weird because, like, one of my favorite bands is uh, this act band artist. I don't know uh, Vardruna. They do like this kind of Viking world music chant type stuff. It's all very like cinematic, uh, very repetitive, but it's not boring. And I don't know if it's like maybe because it's not supposed to be if there's like a thing with intent where it's like this is supposed to be like repetitive chanting tribal stuff. So like you're not expecting it to go as many places whereas like with like what james is saying like when you're hearing 
chords, a chord progression and singing and lyrics, you are kind of, it is kind of implying that there's going to be development. And when that doesn't happen, it's almost like it becomes boring in the absence of it. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, like what, what contributes to, to finding something boring. I, I, I don't know. I never know what people are going to like. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know if this discussion is going to go to a place where, where people are like, oh my God, these people are just insufferable. But, <laughs> but let's go there. Let's talk about um, aesthetic values in music and, and this idea of um, music for music's sake, which is something that's been debated quite a bit. And um, should music be valued for its interiority, where its value is within the work itself, or for referentialism, where it's the thing it's referring to? Right. So if I were looking at this piece from my perspective, I don't think it does enough as a musical composition without the words referring to other things, if that makes sense. It's kind of weird. That's something I've, I've struggled with my entire life, like trying to identify where I fell on that spectrum as a music educator. But like, no, I'm definitely a person that like, the musical experience as a whole has value more than the lyrics do, I think is where <laughs> I finally landed on this. And I've already said, like, I'm not a lyrics person, but the lyrics make this song. <laughs> and if, and like Darbo, like you said, if you chop this out, like chop the lyrics out of this song, I would find it completely insufferable. But the fact that the lyrics are there make it a slightly boring, but effective introduction to float on for me. Yeah, it, it makes yeah. sense to me. And I mean, I, I've i definitely known a lot of people on the other end of that that are like, lyrics are 95% of the value, you know, like, even aside, even apart from melody that like, could I read these lyrics and enjoy it? That's what makes me like a song. The rest is kind of gravy, which I've always found kind of baffling. I I remember in college... I had a professor that loved Bruckner. Mm. And so mm -hmm. I would listen to it and be like, this is pretty. He's, this, I like this. And I brought it up to another professor, like, oh, yeah, I've been listening to Bruckner. And he was like, why are you, why would you listen to Bruckner? <laughs> that is the most boring, repetitive. I don't know why we even talk about how did this guy manage to stay in all of our music textbooks? Like, why is he not? Just one of many composers we don't talk about anymore because he is, he's super repetitive. You, you can really see his compositions just using these like chunks that he's kind of just moving around, but I did like it. And so, yeah, but I mean, I think that you're right. Absolutely right with this song that like, there is kind of a chant element with the lyrics that like, we're just kind of sitting on these lyrics and like, almost like meditating or ruminating on these lyrics and letting the song develop around them kind of i'm not sure if this would muddy the waters more or or make the point more clear uh the, like the argument i've heard before is if you take a programmatic piece of uh, music and, and the one that i i really like to use in this example is uh the march to the scaffold from the symphony fantastique so the, the whole th the whole idea is that you know thematically it's this like death march and at the end you hear the the head chop from the guillotine and it rolls off like that's in the program notes whenever it's performed it was if that was just titled like 
Opus 12. <laughs> right. Or or theme and variation. Would that piece have as much value as what it is? And like referentialists will be like, well, no, it's because it's telling this story and it's very evocative. And we hear those things after we've been told what those things are. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the piece so good. Um, whereas the the people that are more for like the the values within the piece are no the actual the things that Berlioz does and the um the theme and, and everything is very strong. So yeah, I mean, how many how many ballets do we just listen to as music now? You know, we like I've listened to you know Rides of Ride of Spring like a million times, but I've only seen the it choreographed once. You know. Um, so it's not that important to my enjoyment of it. But uh, Rite of Spring is a great example, though. Like, how much do the... Yeah, the title. Yeah, the titles of the of yeah. the, the works within it are pretty... So sorry, like I said, I, I don't know if that's interesting in any way, Darvel or the, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely, I mean... I can't even repeat the words you were saying, but that difference between the referential and then the... I don't know what the one you use for internal or whatever, but it's interesting thinking I've never considered that, but I was thinking about our wizard rock and looking at my music from that. And it's a, I think very much falls under that referential category. I mean, that's exactly what the genre is though. But Like for me, listening to music, I am the primary value that I'm getting from music and assigning to music is an affective value. Like, what does this do to me? What does it do to the listener? And which, which kind of bypasses all of that a little bit. Well, going back to this song, um, it, it's interesting. And I think you kind of mentioned this, James, where I don't feel like this song exists without Float On. And so I love this song, but I wouldn't love it if Float On didn't exist and it wasn't right there next to it. Uh, other interesting things about it is there's no repetition in the lyrics. Like every line is new. And there are other songs that if I had just seen the lyrics of that one song by Modest Mouse, I would be like, oh, they just, they write like a quarter of a song and then just repeat it over and over. And it's interesting where this one musically just takes one thing and then does that over and over with a little bit of build, but lyrically is completely different throughout the whole thing. But then other songs later will do more interesting and different things and go directions with the music, but have the lyrics just be the same thing over and over. So, but the last thing I want to say was, uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me. I, I imagine that they took the song float on and then we're like, Oh, what if we played with this and then created this song? And it's an interesting idea to me. And maybe that's not how it was, but it's uh, made me want to do that with music I write to take a song I've already written and create a world at large version of it and see what I get out of that. Well, and that's something that we acknowledged was a songwriting technique back on the Lorna Shore episode, because that's what they did for Pain Remains, if you recall. They wrote Pain Remains, and then we're like, what if we made this a epic trilogy and the song Pain mm. Remains became Pain Remains 2. So. Oh, I forgot about that. Part of the shared album book club podcast universe. And I said that was the last thing, but 
<laughs> I forgot about some of the other people. I just, there's so many cool sounds in this album. I love the guitar sounds. There's a lot of similarities, but small differences throughout it. Um, I love like the, the bop, 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 sounds in there. And then you get that little tin whistle sounding thing doing it. Just lots of cool, interesting sounds in there. And then fun lyrics like, my thoughts were so loud I couldn't hear my mouth. <laughs> anyway, I think we're ready. Move on to track three, Float On. So James, you knew this one from the radio and MTV, right? Uh, yeah, because cause like I said, I... I had a friend who was really into this band, but it wasn't until after this song came out. And Joey, it was the same for you, right? That's this is all you knew of Modest Mouse was this on the radio and Yeah, I I, I knew it from radio and TV. Uh another kind of funny thing, so the at, at Belmont, the way they would do uh commercial ensemble auditions is they would distribute a list of like four songs. And every anyone who wanted to be in any ensemble would play those same songs. And then all the ensembles would just like pick people based on like you didn't have to on, audition per ensemble, like the country ensemble, the, the rock ensemble, all that stuff. They all just shit every all the judges just used the same ensemble to pick people. And this song was one of those songs my freshman year, I think freshman or sophomore year, just because it does have like a, a very fun uh drum part it kind of reminds me of the um oh dang it the the u2 song um sunday bloody sunday a little bit the kind of martial snare thing which Mm -hmm. is uh, yeah so that yeah i was just familiar this was my knowledge of modest mouse was this song up until prepping for this podcast do you remember how you felt about the song back when it was on the radio I liked it. I I wasn't super into indie music at the time. I was still firmly in like my like metal, prog and classical listening preferences. So I I wasn't paying as much attention to indie music at the time. I didn't I didn't dislike it. I just wasn't I didn't have a, a huge awareness of indie music in general. I did like the song. Um and I kinda liked I think some a strong element of this song is like the the way the feel of the song fits the lyrical content. The kind of just like we're just floating along in the world. Like I I I remember at the time thinking that was was cool. James, how did you feel about this song when you were first hearing it back in high school? I I enjoyed it. This is actually a song that I have a lot more. This is one of the ones I have a lot more respect for coming back to it as an adult. I did. I I thought it was a fine, catchy tune. I never really thought beyond it. Now, having been on the other side of music production a bit more, looking at kind of like the instrumentation on this and how little of it was done with electronics is pretty wild. Like a lot of these um, sounds that I thought were were either like programmed or or synths or something like that are are really guitar effects or things of that nature. And 
That's wild. Because they, like you said, there are some really cool sounds they get on this record as a whole. And I think that um, combined with the really stellar drumming, just some really like almost Ringo Starr level choices of of picking the right thing to fit the tune, but doing it in a way where um, I read an interview with one of the band members. I don't remember who it is, sadly, but they said that for a good Modest Mouse song, it should always feel like it's on the brink of falling apart. And there is a bit of characteristic with that with the timings a little bit loose and a little bit squirrely, not as much as it is on other parts of the record. But much more so than when you look at 2004 and look at the albums that were topping the charts at the time where everything was so firmly snapped to the grid and compressed in Pro Tools. Yeah, it's a it's just a really good song production through and through. I'm amazed at how the song is just an immediate like, you know, you got it on in the car and you're just like kind of bouncing with it and just feeling good and it's. I don't know how much is just having that kind of like the it's just the right tempo with that bass line that kind of has that push and beat, but I don't know. I love it. I cannot be in a bad mood and listen to this song. <laughs> well, also one of the strongest hooks of the early aughts that very, very like infectious, you know, earworm melody. Yeah. Well, and, and the tone of the guitar with it is just so good. This song, yeah, it's so good. It also... <laughs> I If I can make it through this whole podcast without referring to this band as Franz Ferdinand, I, I will be ecstatic. <laughs> but be, like, Franz Ferdinand, Take Me Out, is like... you know, def, I'm definitely not the only person to make these mix these bands up because like Franz Ferdinand's Take Me Out is like the minor key version of this song, like <laughs> you know, like the same kind of tempo, um, jangly guitar, the alliterative band name. Um, yeah, I, I think this song's probably a better song than take me out and take me out. Definitely doesn't have that loose feel. It is like a much more it's a tight. Yeah. Like dialed in song. tight, yeah. almost dance floor type song. Yeah, and it is, like you said, Joey, just the fact that the lyrics match the feel of the song so well. Just the, you know, there's some fun ones in there. The the fake Jamaican took every last dime with that scam. It was worth it just to learn from Slot Around. Like, this kid, <laughs> we just float on, back my car into a cop car. He drove off. Sometimes life's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. Well, and I think another thing... And, and this can kind of just carry through for the entire album. The The vocal performances on this record are very unique and cover a wide range. And I think on this song in particular, this kind of frenetic shout that is like high pitched. And when, when you look at, I'm going to be a nerd for a second. I'm going to pull up what else was 2004 billboard. So, yeah, so, I mean, Three Doors Down, Outcast, Alicia Keys, Hoobastank, Evanescence. Um, th- this is very different from all of those 
if, if you're listening to that kind of music and this comes on, you're like, what is this? Like, yeah. what, what is actually happening? Yeah, because, I mean, I don't I don't remember. That kind of brings up. Was this one of the earlier, like, truly indie songs to be like on pot, like to be on the popular radar? I, I don't I, I really don't remember 2004, like what. Was indie starting to kind of pierce the veil a little bit at this point? So this is the, um, oh, wow. What a weird, so top 100 rock songs, according to Playback FM in 2004. Number one, Nickelback's Figured You Out. <laughs> Number two, Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Numbers three and four, both Velvet Revolver, called <laughs> Pieces in Slither. Uh, number five, Crossfade Cold. And then number six was Jet. Okay. So we were starting to actually, I know you mentioned this in a previous ep- episode, Darvel, all the the bands, like the Hives, the Vines, like all. So we had kind of finished that by this point, right? Because Jet Jet was fully ripping all those bands off by this point. <laughs> so so this was the year of Mr. Brightside. Okay. Which, which kind of makes sense because the Killers are basically aping joy division and this band at their best is kind of aping talking heads or the smiths so we're we're re, we're re recursively pulling from the same time period yeah i think that you're right this is one of the pioneers of mainstream indie music coming out and then yeah like you're saying with the the vocals it's just like if you walked in on him like recording this in his room, just the vocals, you'd be like, "Stop, man! You are not good. What are you doing?" And like, is just that what you plan on crazy doing? Stuff, right? And uh, and I think that that definitely caught my attention as a teenager, and I was all for it. Where I was like, "Man, this is like so weird and bad that I love it, and it's great." And uh, I really like. That quote you said where James, the like, it, it feels like it's about to fall apart. Mm-hmm. It's great. All right. Well, the other single, well, I guess the world at large was a single also. But anyway, the other one that I knew on the radio, Ocean Breathe Salty. And this one... Because, Joe, you mentioned that uh, One Chance has some float-on feel to it. The chorus of this song, I will very often be singing one and switch to the other one. Because you, <laughs> you, can, you can play them over each other. Just uh, Which, for me, I think there are some bands or some songs that do that that I would be like, oh my gosh, write a new song. Like You're just doing the same song over and over. But with this album... And maybe I'm just biased, but I, I really, I feel like it has kind of that theme and feel that we're getting tastes of and in different ways. And so I like it. Yeah. I, I like, I like this song. I, I especially like the, the part with the Mellotron sounding. I, I don't know if it's the chorus or not, but like the part with the Mellotron and the kind of more fast, almost like rap style vocals. Like I, I like that part. 
Is the Mellotron kind of that whirly sounding the, keyboard thing? It's the Strawberry Fields, like the Beatles yeah. song Strawberry Fields. It's it's that organ. It's kind of like a fake flute sound kind of. Yeah, yeah. I love that sound. So, so Mellotrons are super fascinating. So my synth nerdery here. <laughs> um, they're actually uh, tape loops. Oh, cool. That are playing. So every time you press a key, it activates the tape loop to do the playback. <laughs> and that's why they have that kind of like warbly sound, because over time the tape will stretch and do things. And that's also why it's like impossible to get one that's in tune. Mm. And that's why they always have that kind of like dreamy effect, because there's no way to actually keep it in equal temperament <laughs> as it gets moved around and over time. And they're always slightly off. The Mellotrons being made today, if I recall correctly, are all digital replicas hmm so i didn't know that that's cool they probably used a real one on this record though <laughs> it's maybe just it's my inner like uh emo metal person but i really like the line you wasted life why wouldn't you waste death mm -hmm. i think it's like yeah very poetic line. line although yeah i'm i say metal just now like it would be like the perfect line for a singer to shout at the crowd before a breakdown, like, <laughs> <laughs> like to open the pit up. Yeah, I really like, and this one, his lyrics are interesting because there's some like float on where it's just, okay, yeah, I understand everything he's saying here. And then other ones where it's like, I have no idea what he's saying. It, it feels kind of more like a patchwork of this line's cool, this line's cool, but if he is saying something, I don't know what it is. But uh, I really like in the chorus, the that is that and this is this. You tell me what you want and I'll tell you what you get. You get away from me. Just using that, I'll tell you what you get. You get away from me. I don't know. Like, that's not something you would get. Yeah. Just using the phrasing there. It's It's fun. Track five, dig your grave. This is another little interlude thing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. I don't have anything to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's 12 seconds. Yeah. So the horn intro we talked about just kind of the out of nowhere hits you with something. But world at large float on ocean breeze salty definitely like makes sense for those to be together. And then. I feel like bury me with it is definitely taking us to a different place. And so, I mean, dig your grave kind of gives us a little bit of that, like, Oh, transition. It's true. So. It, you know, we, we've talked a lot on this podcast about like the, the rhythm of an album, you know, like, Oh, this album starts off with a bang and then it just gets worse and worse. Or like this album starts slow, but by the end I'm into it. You know, all that. Unfortunately, like you were just saying, Darvel, dig your grave introduces my least favorite stretch of the album like tracks six through nine i really don't like until we get back to track 10 which is firmly in the like indie jangly guitar sound this we, we've shifted eps now that's that's interesting because i'm not super into track six or seven but I really like eight a lot. And um, I would actually say eight is probably my favorite track on this album. And then uh, I, I like nine, but we'll talk about that when we get there. 
So you, I'm with you in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, bury me with it is definitely there's there's an obnoxiousness to Modest Mouse that we really get. This is like the first <laughs> taste of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, when I had the album, I would skip this song pretty much every time listening to it. But uh, I don't know. It's I think it's an obnoxiousness that can grow on you. Um, it for me, it's kind of like a more extreme of what I was just describing with the way he sings "Float On," where it's like, why are you screaming? Please bury me with it so many times. This bad sounding way but it's interesting to me so i will keep listening to it to a point that now like i don't hate this song like i enjoy listening to it i don't skip it anymore but uh it's just one of those like interesting choice you know it's it's funny because i'll say that that stretch i just mentioned track six through nine i i think track six is the one i like most out of those four songs <laughs> uh, i still don't really like it a lot but like if if i had to pick out of those four the one i like the most it would it would probably be track six by a decent amount weirdly I, yeah i don't know do you did you listen to the the album lazaretto by jack white yeah, the the vocals on "Bury Me with It" kind of remind me of Jack White's like weird garage rock rap he did on Lazaretto, which I thought mm -hmm. I, I kind of liked it. And I also like the like extreme loud, soft, loud, soft on "Bury Me with It" as well. Uh, so for me, like the, tra the track is not a skip. Seven is a skip, but but six is not, and. I think that the redeeming factor is the part where it gets to the the good news for people who like bad news segment in the lyrics. There's some interesting kind of like development there and everything. And even like mm -hmm. with the recapitulation, it's kind of uh, done in a way that uh, I think is earned <laughs> at that point in time where we've done enough transitional material and enough like where it comes back to it. It's not tiresome. Just... I I don't get the point of this song. <laughs> I do. Joey, you mentioned like the different kind of wondering if this is a concept album because of the reoccurring themes. There's definitely a lot of like funeral, coffin, death. And so we get a lot of that here with the yeah. bury me with it. I don't like when the name of an album is the name of a track on the album. It makes it very confusing when you're trying to get like a smart speaker to play something because they're like, do you want the album? You want the song? What are we doing here? Um, it, it feels cheap to me. I do like when the album is a lyric in the album and it's not the title of that track. And so, yeah, just hearing that in the bridge here, the good news for people who love bad news. It's like, oh, there it is. That's the name of the album. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I haven't watched family guy in forever, but there's the, the scene in family guy when they're watching the movie and in the, in, when you're watching a movie and the, one of the characters says the name of the movie and you're like, ah, ah, he said it. <laughs> <laughs> what are we some sort of suicide squad? <laughs> That's the one that came to mind for me. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God.
This truly is a Star Wars. <laughs> is that a line in Star Wars? No. no. Oh, I was like, how do I not know that line? <laughs> it was said by Jar Jar Binks, who just blocked it out. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, let's get to the most skippable track on the album then. See, you were just talking about your, I think James, you said your wife was like, oh, y'all never agree on anything. It seems like we all agree on dance hall. Well, (laughs) so when I was listening to this, I, I, I had this moment where I was like, I think this song, like my dislike of this song is what Joey and Darvel were talking about with the song Skinny Ape on the Gorillaz record. <laughs> I I dislike this song more than I dislike the ape song. Good, Be- because my conclusion <laughs> was I, I still enjoy that song on that on the and and. Darvel, you seem confused. That's the one that just goes ape, 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 ape. <laughs> right. Because I was like, I like that song, but then I was like, oh, he's talking about at the very end. Just, hey, 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 hey. I will say, I hated that. I came around to it though. But anyway. But yeah, I I think that uh, this does that same idea way worse. Yeah, and and with the skinny ape, that's like. All right, now the song's over. Let's play it out with this and do it here at the end where this is like song starting. Here we go. We're just going to do this choppy thing the whole way through. I think it's weird with this song because like I so I was like listening to it while I was doing something else and do you ever have that thing where you realize you haven't been paying attention? And then when, when you, when your brain finally does like pay a tiny bit of attention, you're like, Oh my gosh, I hate this. (laughs) 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 I had, I had been paying attention enough to realize that I really don't like this. That, that happened with this song. And it's weird because like, I was trying to figure out what, what don't I like about this? Like, I don't mind how he's singing. Cause it is kind of this just like really extreme, like David Byrne type vocals. I don't mind the guitars. It's weird. I don't mind the repetitiveness because I can think of lots of other songs that where they're just kind of like saying the same thing over and over again. But I don't, this song almost sounds like a, a joke song or even like, I don't know, like, like little kid music where they're just like, where it's like made for four-year-olds or something like it has that kind of feel like a novelty song almost. Yeah. I, I definitely get that. Uh, like why, 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 <laughs> why, are you, why are you doing this? Like it, it seems like a, a joke, but here it is a track on this hit album. <laughs> And I don't even know what that I'm going to dance all dance hall every day. Like, I mean, I get the idea like I'm going to dance all day, but dance hall every day. I don't even know what he's trying to say in the line he's saying a hundred times. I, I think it, it's it's like one of those things that like you notice, like when you're when you've been in a studio situation for like multiple days 
and you're just kind of like goofing off and it's like hey if you notice the dance hall and dance hall sound familiar and then you kind of like put like a little like riff i i agree with joey that it, it, it seems like something they were doing to kind of amuse themselves and they were like put it on the album we have to <laughs> fill another five minutes on the cd it, so it's weird because uh a song i really like from the 80s is dance hall days by i think it's by wang chung which i don't know if it actually makes that same pun or if i always just heard it because it it sounds like dance hall days something but then it also sounds like he's saying dance all day i don't or it might just sound like that i don't know might be a misheard lyric but um i do like that song a lot (laughs) the uh genius annotation for the whole song is some dude on drugs (laughs) wants to dance all at the dance hall every day yeah (laughs) he don't want to work he just wants to bang on the drum all day (laughs) (laughs) I do. This is a fun one. Uh, you know, occasionally, you know, I'll, Brittany and I will sing this for fun because it's, it's fun to say the lyrics. Um, and there's also, you know, there's something appealing. And maybe it's just my personality or humor. Like it can be fun to be obnoxious. And especially listening to this as a teenager and playing this album in my house as a teenager. Like, even if I didn't enjoy this song, I would blast it just to get the reaction from my siblings and my parents, <laughs> right? Like, turn this off, stop, make him stop. Like, and uh, I mean, I even just at Thanksgiving with my family, I was like, I think most of what I say, the goal is either to get laughter or eyes rolling. Like, <laughs> if I can get one of those two things, like, I'm happy. And uh, so I think I... I, I do prefer bury me with it over dance hall, but I have listened to this song many, many times just for that. Like just going to be weird, just going to be obnoxious and, uh, you know, have the kids in the van, like what's wrong with you, dad. <laughs> and love it. Bukowski, I'm really curious about this one because uh, I mean James already mentioned that it's possibly his favorite on the album. It definitely was my favorite in high school and is still one of my. I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite now, but uh, it's definitely up there for me. But uh, Joey, that doesn't seem to be the case for you. No. So, like I said, I I don't like. The, the elements on this album that are that kind of theatrical cabaret feel, I'm, I don't think they really pull it off well for me. Um, especially like on the next song when they go like full Tom Waits, like impression, <laughs> I would say like, just, I'm not a huge fan. One thing I, I didn't like about this song, uh, specifically, I don't like the kind of, this is a weird comparison to make since they didn't exist yet, but like the kind of cadence of the vocals, I've mentioned this. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but the kind of 21 pilots rap cadence, Mm. it's like vaguely, 
it sounds like a white rapper. Like the <laughs> the pitfalls a white rapper can fall into that I think are in this song. Even though I don't I wouldn't call it rapping the same way that 21 Pilots raps. But there's a certain structural element of the vocals that just kind of annoys me. And just for a callback, that's from uh, our very first episode. You said that about Ladders of Supremacy. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. And I, that stuck with me because I remember like you saying it and being like, that's like my favorite part of the album. Like, <laughs> like yeah, and like, yeah, I, I will I, cop to. I'm like, that. I'm that white rapper. <laughs> yeah, and like this. This is flowing out of just personal preference of not liking that. <laughs> no, it's not any sort of objective judgment. It, I don't know though. I put it with a. Uh, uh, I have to do the reference. It's a uh, that song that was on the radio years ago. The uh, like fake reggae. Uh, basically telling the dad, I don't care. I'm going to marry her anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Do you guys know the song I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I'm going to marry that girl. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard someone doing a review on it and being like, that song is to reggae. At, to like what a gas station taquito is to Mexican food. <laughs> you know, like just that. Like, And so when you you talk about like these like white rapper typical pitfalls like that's kind of what i'm picturing just being like ah dang it i'm that gas station taquito (laughs) but i just love it so much i like some white rappers like i i really love lp from um run the jewels but but they don't do this cadence in these pitfalls that you don't like no no they don't i think it's because they don't have the kind of like reggae vibe that some white rappers can fall into Right, so that's what I'm saying. Though is that's the stuff that that's, I like. You, and that's now I'm the like, Dang that's it. the gas station burrito. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So James, now that Joey's told us how awful this song is, what uh, <laughs> what do you have to say about it? So this song hits me in a, in a very particular spot because I one of my favorite bands is Cursive, and I think that that where Joey hears white rapper, I hear. Um, Isaac doing his best Tim Casher impersonation. And I think the the strings in the background and everything kind of like reinforce that idea. Like this sounds like a, a cursive song to me. And um, especially as it pushes towards the end and like there's more and more anger in the voice and the, the drumming picks up and all that stuff. It's yeah, I, I could very easily see this being from like Burst and Bloom era cursive. So I did while talking about cursive. I had a moment where I'd picked the theme. We had, I hadn't told you guys what it was yet. Oh, the ugly I organ. Like, I didn't think I was that. like, oh, I was like, maybe I want to do ugly organ instead of this album, but ended up going with this one. But that, that was a hard decision for me. So I'm curious if this song falls at all in that category where we were talking about, like, you know, James and I, and, and I'm assuming, James, that you loved this song back when you were listening to it in high school, right? Yes. Yeah, I did. And I wonder if high school Joey maybe could have liked this song more than 36, 37-year-old Joey. That's a good question and probably would have liked it more. Because, So like I said, 
when I heard that album Dog Problems by The Format, I loved it. And it was because of all the like horn section, very theatrical, very earnest, uh, like loved it, loved it, loved it. And so I think if I had heard this song back in 2004, I probably would have liked it better. Yeah, I know for me, like, you know, this instrumentation was unique to me for what I was typically listening to. And I just feel like it works so well with the picking banjo, the, you know, the string and the guitar. Like, I just love the feel and sound of it. For me, there was also kind of like a forbidden appeal to it because uh, this was one I deleted off of my media player because I couldn't, you know, sleep at night listening to a song that's saying like why would god want to be such a control freak and uh little christian me was like oh i shouldn't listen to that that's bad that's bad <laughs> but you know now i enjoyed even more now that i don't believe in a christian god it was like yeah who would want to be a control freak <laughs> <laughs> kind of going back to that teenager in me i i do think that we should point out that this does have the unfortunate um lens of looking at this from 2023 of using a very problematic phrase in the second verse um in the line about god giving life so oh so, so something to be aware of if you are coming into this like i do think it's something that needs to be acknowledged but i have to go look it up now one time in when i was in third grade i was like sitting underneath the slide in the playground just hanging out <laughs> And the the rec the recess teacher came over and was like, "Get out of there! I know what you're doing." And I was like, uh, "What?" She's like, "You are sitting under there reading all the cuss words under the written under the slide. Get out!" I was like, "I didn't even know there were cuss words written." <laughs> That's what I thought of just now. I was like, "Oh, time to go look up the bad thing." <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, not as probably not as bad as what was written under the slide Pro probably not but still <laughs> something that we should i i actually tried to google to see if there was like a modern performance of this that i could see to see if hmm. they had addressed that at all and as far as i can tell they have not so <laughs> i'm gonna re-edit when i edit this i'm gonna say the reason i don't like this song is because of that and then <laughs> that way y'all and i'll be like i just don't understand how someone could like this and then y'all so woke. Yeah. And then y'all so, will be like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you just make make us sound awful. <laughs> AI, you can make us say anything That's true. nowadays. Just stitch it together. Back to uh Bukowski. Um Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about this album is that I I feel like it works so well as an album with all the things tying into each other. And like we mentioned, the you know, the second, the world at large, like, wouldn't be good if it wasn't there with Float On. Um, but the line in this one, well, all that icing and all that cake, I can't make it to your wedding, but I'm sure I'll be at your wake. So we get more of the kind of funeral feel there. And I think there's even a line in a later song that talks about wedding cake. So, again, just enjoy the theme of it. Is in, is anyone on this podcast familiar with the works of Bukowski? I'm not. <laughs> I I only know 
the very tiny bit I know because I googled what the heck is Bukowski. <laughs> I've only ever because of heard of various people that love Bukowski, but I've never actually read any Bukowski. When I did, this was a few years back when I didn't, you know, I my belief was dwindling and I didn't feel guilty listening to this song anymore and could enjoy it freely. I that's when I dove into Bukowski trying to figure that out and I was reading stuff about people talking about this song and it seems like people into Bukowski like would dog on this song and just be like oh this is like a teenager read it and it's like oh wow that's what all this stuff that's what people say about Anthony Kiedis really likes Bukowski and like has referenced he's referenced him in a couple songs and people are like okay (laughs) would you would you like to hang out with Anthony Kiedis no should should I know who Anthony Kiedis is? Red Hot Chili Peppers. Is he the singer? Singer and lyricist. Oh. Okay. All right. Track nine. All the people that you know. All the people that you know. Floating in the river are logs. Finally connect the horn intro. <laughs> Seeing it laid out here, it is uh, 16 tracks. So if you split the track the album in half track nine is the first track of the second half which they both start with the horn sound so maybe that means something maybe it just worked out that way (laughs) well i've already said i'm not a huge fan of the kind of i mean to me very like i am trying to be tom waits this is a tom waits song and i like i like tom waits i don't love tom waits but yeah i enjoyed it for the same reason that joey did not like it <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was kind of like a clever homage i can picture some you know overalls on a raft going down the bayou like just floating back down to the song you mentioned bayou before joey so so it does fit there the repetition of this one, the all those people that you know, all those people that you know, this one kind of gives me a feel of like, a, you know, those repetitive like, oh, sinner, let's go down. Let's go down. Won't you come on down? And like, as I was kind of making that connection with this, not not that there is, but, you know, in my head, then going back to please bury me with it, dance hall, like where they have that kind of obnoxious when you play these songs for most people most people are going to ask you to turn it off right but uh i don't know i I, there was kind of feeling that repetition of it i uh i don't know made me like it a little bit more but you know it's kind of interesting you say that darwin i'd never really thought about this we we talked about like five years after this the kind of earnest Hey ho, kind of stomping music, and I, I think like, um, oh, what's what's the British faux bluegrass band, Mumford and Sons, like that yes. kind of ties into oh, it. Oh yeah, you know, in two thousand, the year two thousand, Oh Brother Art Thou came out, and that soundtrack was huge, and it kind of kicked off this like mountain music revival i wonder if you could draw some sort of line from that 
to the kind of mountain music influenced indie that came later. <laughs> I think it's a really good observation. Cause like, like a band like old crow medicine show kind of sits in the middle of all that, you know, um, I'd never really thought of there being any sort of connection between the two, but I wonder, wonder if there is. And when I was singing, you know, the center, let's go down. I was picturing the scene from, Oh brother, where art thou? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that would not surprise me if there was that connection, especially with how big it was, the music. And I, I think we should also comment that like the brass playing on this is phenomenal. Yeah, it's fun. Like it, it's hard like it's hard to sound <laughs> that way. <laughs> it's is I just imagine like your average person hearing you say that and just wide-eyed at just some of the crazy sounds you're getting in this being like this sounds like a four-year-old was handed a trumpet <laughs> but well it, it goes back to like darvel you're you're a saxophone player so you might appreciate this um i forget what the phenomenon is called but there's a thing you could do on saxophone where you can sing a note and play a different note oh yeah like, do you know what i'm like, talking like about multiphonics multiphonic yeah. thank you um, when I was a freshman in college, I, um, in my Woodwood methods class, my first instrument was saxophone and I could not make a sound on the saxophone without playing a multiphonic. <laughs> and the professor was like, if you just want to go hang out in the, like outside the saxophone practice rooms, he's like, they'll be so mad. <laughs> like, it's, he's like, cause you don't understand how hard it is to do what you're doing right now. It's hard. Cause you do the same thing on a trumpet, like to make a growl sound on a trumpet you sing a note that is like one step higher or lower from the note you're playing because like if you if you sing a note that's like a good interval from what you're playing it won't work because like the your vocalizing kind of just blends into the the sound coming through the horn but yeah if, if you're playing a b and you sing a c or a c sharp it makes a growl and it is very difficult to do cleanly. So anyway, he, he, he told me, he was like, you know, like, you're not going to be able to replicate this for very long. <laughs> and we need to fix this because this is a problem. And sure enough, once I got my embouchure set and like actually learned how to play a saxophone, I could never make that sound again. <laughs> but it was just it was funny, like those first like 30 minutes of my saxophone playing, just getting that very strange <laughs> timbre. A funny thing with this song, I, uh, so I've been listening, kind of a backstory to the backstory, but, uh, I've been doing this thing with my kids where when a song comes on on the radio, like in the van, if it's an artist that I want them to know, like, you know, I'm like this, you should know who this is. Like that would make me proud if you know who this is kind of thing. I've started like giving them money being like, (laughs) I'll give you I'll give you $2 if you know who this artist is. And uh, it's been pretty fun. Um, It pretty much turns into the guessing game of like, there are two words. (laughs) The second word is a fruit because they they have no idea. They've never heard of the cranberries before, right? So it's like, uh, so we have a lot of fun with that. But uh, but there have been a few. Riley, she got the Eagles for Hotel California and got four bucks for that. And (laughs) I foolishly thought they wouldn't no weezer but they got that one too so i've lost a few bucks doing that but it's been fun uh modest mouse though is one that 
before I had picked this for the album, my seven, almost eight year old daughter, she like, cause, and I told them this too. I was like, I'll probably like, there will be a repeat. So eventually down the road, it will be, can I remember the name of that band? And she like, for weeks, every day is like, modest mouse <laughs> modest mouse she's like ready for when that song comes on the radio and she's like will you please give us money when that song comes on the radio and like just very like she's like ready for this one and uh so it's been fun listening to the album and having her but and this is again is a fun one for the kids because when you got those horns wee, 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 you know they're like what the heck is happening just laughing what are we listening to but they were singing the words all those people that you know floating in the river are logs and i was like ha, that's funny because he's saying floating in the river are lost i was like but that'd be funny if it was logs but looking at the lyrics i was wrong it is all those people that you know floating in the river are logs so hmm. i've been singing it wrong for Almost a decade. <laughs> this is one with lyrics where I want to try to figure out what he's trying to say in this song, but I have no idea. But there's lines I like, like, let's take this potted plant to the woods and set it free. It's just a fun line to me. I don't know. As life gets longer, All right. Hopping into the view. So, Joey, you feel like this is where uh, we step into a different EP or is this going back to uh, I mean, I think one we have earlier? I think we're kind of going, we're like kind of briefly revisiting the first EP. I, I This is where I'm back on board with the album because I really like this song. And, and this one also very strong Franz Ferdinand vibes. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing that is kind of funny about this song, maybe so... The whole album, the guitar playing is very Johnny Marr guitar playing, who was the guitar player for the Smiths. This song is maybe the most Johnny Marr. And then I, I learned that like right after this album was recorded, Johnny Marr joined Modest Mouse for a few years, which oh. I didn't know, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny that like they already had all these guitar parts that were basically his guitar like sound just like something he would play anyways uh that he was just like hey what if i just joined the band (laughs) (laughs) i had never put modest mouse and franz ferdinand next to each other before but it definitely makes sense i think my big thing was like when i think modest mouse i think like kind of rowdy all over the place obnoxious crazy vocals where franz ferdinand is not that but it then when you get into the music, especially with this song, that yeah, it's like, oh yeah, definitely tons of similarities there. Yeah, I I enjoy it. I think it's a really good track. I uh, again, this is very good drumming on this record all throughout. Um, and and this is a this is one that I would like to play a lot. This is this kind of like dance vibe kind of thing. I think I would enjoy this a lot. So I really enjoy the like verse two you get that pow 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 in the back and stuff just little quirky things in the music that i love and and there's a, a little bit of that like like counter melody kind of stuff kind of ties into like the uh it's kind of gorillas-esque 
that this kind of stuff in the background. Um, I think that kind of also plays into my like of the song. I don't have a lot to say about it other than that. Uh, going back to the guitar, this is something that's always been weird for me, but good weird for me. Like, I feel like Modest Mouse is very rowdy and just kind of like, yeah, we're getting a little crazy going with it. But with the like with the energy and that feel, I've always expected it to be like a more full, like heavy guitar sound with that style of music and so having that feel but with this like thin kind of squirrely guitar sound has always like been weird for me and i just but i think it works for me so well too because i like you know with like more rowdy music i kind of picture like bigger guys like oh yeah don't mess with me man where this i think is more of the me rowdy where i'm like the scrawny lanky <laughs> kid like ah, i'm getting wild man like but i don't know i just it's kind of like a contrast that i really enjoy all right track 11 satin in a coffin you know so i said earlier like generally on this album the the more it sounds like like the the songs that are more in that float on talking heads and float on and talking heads space are the ones i like best this is the exception because i love this song this is like maybe tied for my favorite song on the album i think it's oh yeah. wow i'm not a huge if I could like reach back through time and just turn down, turn off the banjo fader, I probably would. Cause I think it works better. <laughs> as just like a pure rock song, but I really like this song a lot. It's like this kind of bluesy, almost black keys filtered through the talking heads a little bit. Yeah. And like the line, are you dead or are you sleeping? I sure hope you are dead. I think it's just like a really like, cutting brutal good line yeah i really like this song a lot you, you know i hadn't heard the the jack white comparison until you brought it up and this definitely sounds like a jack white song yeah you get that motor city type vibe yeah um i also really like this track and it's again that same kind of like loose blues rock like aggression i just really found enjoyable I don't like this one as much as you guys do. I still like it, but uh, it's definitely not in my top two. That's crazy to me, Joey. But <laughs> it's I've, I've been trying to think because, again, I think the ones that I put more in the category of like, if I was showing someone Modest Mouse, they're like, oh, yeah, I like the hits on the radio. Play, give me some of their other songs. Like songs that I would definitely say no to are, you know, the ones we've talked about. We're just a little more obnoxious. And this one kind of falls in that category for me, even though it's not obnoxious in that way. I think, though, it is just the are you dead or are you sleeping being repeated three times is what puts it in that category for me, even though I do enjoy it, especially like you were saying with the lyrics, Joey. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I just don't like the <laughs> line being repeated multiple times. 
as far as like i don't think other people are gonna like this but then i go look at you know float on and it's like <laughs> that's just the same line repeated three <laughs> times too so maybe it's not that at all and it's just the style and the singing anyway i'm curious what your other favorite song is joey is it like float on or is it one we haven't gotten to yet um i don't know so it might be let me scan through my notes here it's probably float on i also really like the view the view would be closely uh behind it i didn't say that when we were talking about it but i i it is towards the top of my list so then we get another interlude This interlude kind of uh, cements my my theory of there being in this album an EP of nautical themed uh, indie songs because this this little interlude sounds very like nautical to me. Yeah, it's and I've never like I've known the interludes are in there, but I haven't like looked at the track list and kind of seen when they're happening and how it breaks up the album that way. I mean, this one, I definitely, you know, feel like we're coming down from that rowdiness. And so there's other albums where interludes happen and I'm like, you can just delete that off the album for me. I don't care about it. But I feel like this album does a good job with. All right. Here's another transition. Let's bring it down for Blame It on the Tetons. Blame It on the Tetons. so track track 13 um i had forgotten this was a modest mouse song i loved this song in high school and it was kind of one of those songs where i was like man i wish i knew who sang that song (laughs) that i really liked and then i was very surprised when um this came up on the track list i was like oh wow this is it this song is so clever I really like the bass playing on this track is phenomenal and it is that constant coming in on, on the, the two. So you get the, the bomb, but throughout the song. And then there's never really a, uh, I, I didn't spend a ton of time, like, like charting out the bass guitar part. So maybe, maybe there is a, like, a place where it happens, but there's never a pattern that lines up exactly with the guitar or vocal melodies. It's always kind of moving in this contrapuntal kind of thing. And I just, it's not like anything else in the album. It's such a fascinating song to me. Yeah. I also like this song. I, I like, it kind of has that like California rock feel a little bit like vaguely Eagles or flying breed of others type type sound. I, I could almost even like, I think it, adding like steel guitar or something to this could could sound really nice. Listening to the album for this podcast, I was surprised how much I was noticing the bass lines. And yeah, this was one that I had never paid attention to that before. But And I didn't realize what it was that I liked about it so much. But that makes sense the way you explained it, James. And, and again, that very tasteful drumming. Um, I think it's just something to put in here. This this is a song that could very easily 
have fallen into that trap of just kind of the like standard two and four um and or worse it could have fallen into the trap of the early aughts like the overly busy indie rock drumming and i think the fact that it's it's understated but still has this kind of like drive forward that does interesting things in a syncopated sense without being like overtly on off beats and things of that i it's really just really well put together i'd be curious to go back to the first few times i listened to this album because as we know going through this podcast i have a hard time with slow songs but this one i don't know i don't think it ever was an issue for it me and this is one of my favorite songs on the album which surprises me because i usually don't go for the slow ones the other thing with it too is you know talking about all the different sounds we get in this album this is a very different sound and feel but it still fits so well with the album that yeah i just love that about this album that it kind of goes all over the place but it's still very cohesive and feels like it should be together i also really like the lyrics the no my dog won't bite you though it had the right to <laughs> ought to give her credit because she knows i would have let it happen <laughs> great line all right moving on last three tracks you get track 14 black cadillacs so this one it was kind of cool for me doing this podcast I, a lot of times when I do listen to my music, I just put on like my old school iTunes playlist that has like the actual physical songs I owned, mostly from high school, and just have that on shuffle like while I'm working and stuff. And, uh, and I'll listen to this album off of that. And this one is not on there because of all the F words. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, I, I would have left it now, but high school me deleted it. And uh, so when I was listening to this on Spotify, I had a moment of like, how do I like I I knew this song, but it like, you know, for an album that I knew so well, it was like, ooh, what's this little treasure I've never really experienced fully before. So I've really this has been my favorite one while listening to it right now, just because it's fresher for me. This song is is interesting to me because it's it's a fine song. It captures the the modest mouse sound i think most people if you play played this for them told them it was modest mouse they wouldn't be surprised by that if they were only familiar with the radio hits it kind of feels like a b-side to me though like it just it's it's fine i just i don't think it's as good as some of the other stuff and this late in the album i don't know what it does that other tracks haven't already accomplished so for me this would have been one of the ones i excised like if i if i were in the studio i'd be like Eh. We we've done this already. We've done it. We've done it better. But again, if it was on its own, I think yeah, it's a good song. It's funny. I really like this song a lot. It it is definitely towards. I would say in like like this, float on and satin in a coffin, are like my three favorite songs on the album. So so this is interesting though because you would have cut out Bury Me With It in Dance Hall. 
I would have. Right. Well, I don't mind bury me with it. I don't like it, but I don't hate it. Dance hall, dance hall, Bukowski Devil's Workday are like I could skip all three of those. For for me, when an, when an album gets past the like forty minute mark, and and this might be a me problem, and and typically this is why I don't really like like deluxe versions of albums where they add B sides and things of that nature because it's kind of like we 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 don't need this material here. So it's like if you're not gonna do something past the forty minute mark, that's like. God, this sounds so pompous, like, like worthy of my attention. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. And, and for me, like I said, it's it's a good song. I just I didn't I, I think that where it was located on the album really affected my judgment of it. And, and that that's fair because it is late in the album. And I think it's kind of a shame because it. I think it is a pretty strong song. And I think that the the structural like the repeating words three times throughout like all the verses is very catchy and like really holds your attention They're, like mm-hmm. i love the line uh, we were all still just dumb dumb dumber than the dirt 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 on the ground like i think yeah. it's just like i think like this song the things that he d- the lyrics do like they're kind of like intentionally like dumb like caveman brain kind of it's just like just like hammering these like words into the song kind of like i i think is really pretty good to give you some credit to what you're saying though james i for years forgot this song was on the album (laughs) and the album was still one of my favorites so (laughs) the album works without it uh but yeah i do think uh as far as what you were saying with like it doesn't really give us anything new at this point i I don't know. I really love how this song, like it, it goes to different places. Um, you know, starts out super slow. Then we get into the first chorus and we get that change. But then when the bridge comes in, that's where it really hit me. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how many times I've heard this bridge before. <laughs> like, I didn't realize this was on the album. I don't know. It's a very strong bridge. And then when we go back into verse two, it's just got that piano and a whole different feel. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a solid. I, I wouldn't say, you know, it's a B-side track to me. I do feel like it is a full good song. But uh, I like this one a lot. You know, going back to the funeral coffins feel. Yeah, I, I like that line a lot. The The clouds just hang around like black Cadillacs outside a funeral. It's interesting, too, because, you know, at this time, you know, getting into moody teenager emo music, lots of there's lots of death in a lot of those songs, but I feel like the way it's done in this album, like there's just so much specifically on the funeral that is is kind of interesting to me and different that uh, I like it more than just typical death material. Yeah, and I I think it's also smart, like from a creative and maybe even commercial standpoint because like writing if you were going to write a song about death one that's not like a tangible thing you know like it's just a concept and also it's so big and broad of a topic like and you either get way in the weeds or you just say cliches whereas like writing lyrics about a funeral is much more 
doable. And like, cause you can use sensory words and, and describe sights and sounds and all that. You can, it, it's a tangible, you know, moment in time thing versus, and so I, I think it's, I think it works. It's really successful because of it. Anything else you want to say about this one? James wishes it wasn't even on the album. <laughs> See, I feel bad because, like, like I said, it's a good song. Like, and, and I, I would prefer its inclusion. If I had to kick one song off the album, this would not be the song. It would be Dance Hall by far. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. All right, track 15. One chance. Back out again and go off sinking. Now, this was the song that when I heard this, I was like, this is why Darvel picked this album. Because <laughs> this this is a Shin song. That's funny you say that. Because I had moments listening to this in the last week that I was like, man, it's crazy how many times I'm getting like Shins. I, I would have never put Shins and Modest Mouse together. But even Black Cadillacs, like the bridge. I was like, man, this kind of has some like shins elements to it so that's interesting that you had that with this song i didn't really make that connection but it's it's totally apt i i do really like there's this moment it's yeah it's at 113 in the track where everything cuts out and then they have that guitar line that brings it back in the ba-da. i always i thought that was a really cool there hasn't been a lot of space on this record it's been a very like in your face record and, and wild and everything and i didn't realize how much like i needed space until that moment happened where it was just that little bit of da 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 i was like oh it's so it's like a you know refreshing sip of water <laughs> on a hot day just like oh so good one of my probably one of my favorite moments on the entire record yeah the instrumentation in this song is awesome I, I meant to point out too the last track Black Cadillacs that was one that the bass line in the verse of that I really really enjoy I think I mentioned earlier like this song kind of also sounds like float on to me like not like like we said like this is part of the float on project where everyone wrote their own float on different obviously but has some of the same bones i think i can hear that yeah i had never put that together but yeah i agree and we get more of ships and sailing yeah this song is one and maybe it's something with that repetition that again i would hesitate which it hurts me to say it because i i had a moment with this song like six or seven years ago that I was just listening to this album and it was like I was experiencing this song new and was just obsessed with it and would just play this one track for hours. And uh but because of the chorus, the just the constant repetitive, I'm just a box in a cage, box in a cage, that I would be like, Hey friend, I have this song I want you to listen to <laughs> it might get a little obnoxious, but try to bear through it because it's a great song. But at the same time, like just with how many songs have that kind of obnoxious repetition that 
you know, I expect my mom would be like, why are we listening to this? <laughs> that it is, it, it is kind of part of that, you know, experience of this album that you get throughout it. So I like it. Yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's part of their style. Which makes me enjoy the world at large so much more because you don't get any repeating <laughs> lyrics in that one. Just to mix it up. But yeah, the verse two of this, the music there, the didn't mean to laugh, didn't know I had, like, just that drive-in feel. So good. All right. Then uh, last track, Good Times Are Killing Me. I didn't realize Flaming Lips were on this. Yeah, I saw them. I didn't realize so I read that on Wikipedia just recently. You could definitely hear it now. Yeah, yeah. So on, on the outro, once you're listening for it, yeah. It's weird. So when we were talking about Blame It on the Tetons, uh, James, you said like this is like a well, well-structured, well-organized, like a well-done song. I think this song is a little bit the opposite. Like I like many elements of this song. It seems kind of not finished or like kind of underdeveloped to me. Like, like it didn't, they didn't quite, you know, tie the bow on it. Well, and this is, this is one of those songs that my appreciation of was diminished coming back to this record because this is almost like a cliche at this point with this type of indie rock where you have a, an outro track that starts off very like, skeletal and simple and they just keep adding layers and layers and layers and then it just goes but i i agree with you there's no payoff it just is and um i i I do enjoy it for what it is but i do think if you had stopped this record at track 13 i think it would have been just as well received as leaving these last three on it, which hurts me to say, because I really enjoy track 15 a lot. Um, But I just, I don't get a lot out of this last track musically. Yeah. I mean, I I think like the, for me, like the last two tracks could be like the, the iTunes deluxe copy. Those, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's interesting hearing you guys say that. Um, I really like this song. I also agree with you. Um, it's interesting. I mean, the song starts, right, you know, like, very, like, hanging out, having fun, right? Like, oh, yeah. Hey. But I've always wondered, like, if you cut that out and just had it start, like, got dirt, got air, got water, if I would, like, view the song differently. Because with that intro, it's kind of like, oh, okay, we're chilling. We're just doing some music here. But uh, the the song I'm thinking of, the White Stripes album I had with the Salvation Army on it. Oh, Seven Nation Army, <laughs> not Salvation Army. <laughs> but it did take me a long time to figure out why he was writing a song about Salvation Army. <laughs> but uh, the last track on that one is, you know, very much just like a throw on for fun track on the album. Like it doesn't necessarily fit with the rest of it. And so that was kind of like the vibes I was having with this too, where it was just like, oh, okay, we're just throwing this on here for fun. But when I do like 
get into the verse and chorus of it and like treat it like a full song. Again, I get where you're saying like it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really have that finishing bow on it, um, especially for like a final song on the track. It's kind of lacking. But with all that said, I still love it. I love the the bass line in the verse, especially the way it's working through the with the melody of it. Um, and then even just the I mean the line the good times are killing me is i love it for the feel especially the you know to go from world at large just kind of like what's the point like it's out of my control to just float on everything's good and then you know make your way through everything to end on and the good times are killing me is uh i don't know i, I would be very sad if these last three songs were not on the album but I also understand what you're saying, where it could be like the the bonus tracks for the deluxe album. Good times. Were the answers that you received from us what you were expecting, Darble? Or did you think we'd have a different impression on this record? I really wasn't sure. And I think that's part of why I wanted to... Because I, I think I knew with Cursive... Like, I know how much you love Cursive, and I think that that was the main reason I went with this one over Cursive, mm-hmm. was because, you know, it, it does go in more, I think, more dynamic ways than cur- the Cursive album does. And, yeah, I had no idea. I could have seen it going both ways for each of you. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it, especially the, you know, the tracks you didn't enjoy, I completely get. And so... No, I'd say this, I feel like this is a good album for like, okay, it makes sense that we're in a band together, you know, <laughs> all your takes on the album. So it's like, all right, all right, that makes sense. So we're talking about next podcast or, okay, because I'm like super, I'm so stoked for this pick. <laughs> I, I've like, since, since the last time we recorded, I've just been so excited. I've actually started listening preemptively to this record again. <laughs> It's a band that I think they are extremely underrated. I think they don't get nearly enough credit for for what they accomplished in their short run. And they a, immense musical influence on me and my songwriting and, and even my, my composition stuff. Um, so the album, because keeping the green theme, uh, this is not my favorite album by them, but it fits the green theme is uh, Sing Sing Death House by the band The Distillers. I've never heard of the album. I don't know if I've heard of The Distillers. I don't I don't ever remember album names. I don't think I'm familiar with this album. I like The Distillers a lot. That'll be fun. So I will say, uh, Darvel, you know, content warning if you do listen with the kids. <laughs> but I, I am curious, uh, given your oldest fondness of Paramore, if this would be like the catalyst to push her into like, this is where she goes down the road of like more aggressive music. I would be curious, but I mean, also given some of the content on the album, I would also understand why you wouldn't want your daughter of that age listening to this. So (laughs) I I don't know. Cuss words in my kids is so funny. They, uh, and content, you know, it might be more than just cuss words, but we were cleaning the other day and, she had like Lizzo playing and 
I just whenever she like said the B word, I just went beep really loud. And it was just me and Riley in there. And she was like, Dad, you don't have to do that. Like, I can hear the <laughs> B word. It's fine. It's good. And I'm like, I'm like, well, why do you want to? Like, why can't I do that? Like, just, you know, messing with her. But it's, it's funny until they start shouting it at their friends. And then they're not allowed to play with their friends anymore because they're shouting cuss words at them. You figure it out as you go. So... <laughs> <laughs>